Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. You know what? A lot of people will say that Magic got Westhead fired, and that's far the farthest from the truth you'll ever experience, ever hear. Magic did not get him fired. This is Showtime with Coop, presented by BetOnline.ag on CLNS Media. As a quick reminder, please hit the subscription button if you have not already. That way, every time we release a new podcast, it shows up automatically in your feed, and please give us a rating. Showtime with Coop is insightful BS by some of my legend teammates and legend players in the NBA. And today's topic... We're going to be covering some of the best coaches that I ever had an opportunity to play for during my Lakers Showtime era. We will start, and my man Ari is on here. At what's up, man? What's going on, man? You know, I'm I'm intrigued certainly by some of these coaches you're going to go through, but for me, the 1980 season, it, it's incredible when you think of all the things that were happening around Showtime and and what happened in the NBA finals that year. And, and it's pretty incredible to think the 1980 season coup. I mean, that that's crazy it, it, to me, like Showtime it's synonymous with the NBA. It's one of the most infamous teams and dynasties this league has ever seen. And, and Showtime is synonymous with Pat Riley. And yet it wasn't, it wasn't a slam dunk that Pat Riley was going to be the coach of Showtime. He wasn't supposed to be the coach of Showtime. And that no, was Jeff wasn't, McKinney. And that's why I want to jump back a little bit to the 79 season. When I first got with the Los Angeles Lakers coming out of the University of Mexico, uh, Jerry West was our coach then. Jerry, the legendary Jerry West, uh, was coaching along with Jack uh, McClowski and Stan Allback, one of the greatest coaches in the ABA, and then went on to coach the San Antonio Spurs later on in in, the last four or five years in the 80s. But that was an interesting year because it was something that that team was full of talented players. You had Kareem, you had Jamal Wilkes, you had Norm Nixon was a staple of the foundation of the team. Uh, Ron Carter, a player out of VMI, was averaging about 34, 35 points a game, was the number one pick for the Lakers. And the Lakers already had a veteran squad, Ron Boone, Lou Hudson, Adrian Dantley, Don Ford out of Santa Barbara, Kenny Carr out of NC State. So they had a plethora of players that they were all ready to assemble. 
And as things go, that year I got hurt my first year. I taught my knee in the summer league. And then as Jerry got tired of coaching and didn't want to, and he wanted to move on, and Dr. Buss acquiring a team, Dr. Buss wanted to make some changes. And that's where, had I stayed on the Lakers or had I been healthy that year, I probably wouldn't be part of Showtime, Ari, because I really? they had to trade me because they had too many, at that time, what they call no trade or no no cut contracts. They could, you know, players had contracts that was like solid and they, you couldn't do anything with them. They had to play the, the contract out. So it was fortunate for me that I did get injured because Jerry West, and I'll never forget this. He told me, he said, Coop, just keep working hard and things are going to turn out the best for you here. And for sure enough, that's what happened because I got a chance to rehab my knee all that year, was going to practice and watching these magnificent, great players play and, and, and just trying to get a feel of how everything was. And then that season ends. Jerry leaves, Dr. Buss comes in, buys a new team, takes Jerry up to the front office to be more of a brain trust person. And the first coach he hired was Jack McKinney. And Jack McKinney was a disciple of Jack Ramsey up in Portland when Portland won their championship. So it was really, really special uh, time uh, to come in. Now, when they got rid of all those players, Ron Boone and, and AD, and they made a couple of trades and we were able to maneuver and, and Jerry was doing that. Then obviously Magic Johnson hits the scene. And uh, that summer when they had drafted him, we go to the summer league. Now I'm healthy now. And this is actually my second year, but as a, as a first time player on the court it would be my first season. So my second year there is when Magic and I kind of uh, bonded. We go and we play. And we really, at that time, they still hadn't picked a coach. Because it's the summer league coming into that. They hadn't picked the coach yet. So we were playing over Cal State LA. And I remember playing the Detroit Pistons with uh, Roy Hamilton uh, out, of, out of here, out of Los Angeles, a big time player. And then all the Detroit players uh, came in. And that was a huge game at Cal State LA. I don't know if you know that arena, but they literally, for Magic, had to open up. You could open up the one end, I think it was the east end of the court, to the outside because it was, it was packed with so many people. Summer leagues were only getting probably about maybe 50, 60 people. They had 800 people come to the game wow. that night, and we played the Detroit Pistons. And they had Greg Kelser that played with Magic. Greg was playing in the summer league. Uh, Greg played with Magic at Michigan State. Greg was on the team. So it was kind of like a love-hate thing because Magic had been playing with him so long. But we played the Detroit Pistons. Great summer league game. Uh, Sold-out crowd. People were there to see this kid Magic Johnson play. And uh, we played the game. We ended up winning. Very, very good, energetic, exciting game. And the one thing I remember that game, AT, is that Magic goes, we got to get you a play. And that's when the alley-oop was born because he wow. said, hey, they're throwing this to Greg, you know, at Michigan State. And Greg been going up. And your coop, so alley-oop coop. And that's how that was made and came into fruition. You know, we won the game. And in the locker room, he was just yelling, yeah, yeah, the Lakers, that's who we are, that's who we are. So it, it, was, it was infectious back then. It was fun, man. I said, you know what? When he's yelling like that, i got to make this team because i got to be around this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Magic's drafted. You go to the 1980 season. Dr. Trey Buss just buys the team. Like, that's crazy how much change is undergoing the Lakers. Jerry West hated coaching, so he decides to step aside. And then they bring in Jack McKinney. And so – just give me your kind of initial impressions. You mentioned Jack McKinney was an assistant in Milwaukee. He was a longtime disciple of Dr. Jack Ramsey and coached at St. Joe's, longtime Philadelphia area coach. So then he, he gets the opportunity through Dr. Buss to, to take over as the head coach of the Lakers. You know what? Coach McKinney was like your grandfather. 
he was like very, very soft-spoken. Uh, you could tell that he knew the game from the, the, the mental aspect, the basketball IQ. You knew that was there. And again, growing up in Los Angeles and watching Bill Walton, who went to UCLA, and the way that they flourished around that team and the way they actually played, you know, you knew that he was bringing something special to us. So that first year we come in and we'll go to training camp and everything, the first two days or first hour of the first two days was all about standing around. And he would talk to us about certain positions on the floor, what we want to accomplish uh, uh, as a team, some of our goals uh, to be the number one field goal shooting team, to be a number one transition point wise team. He would talk to us about goals and how we were to accomplish these goals. And my thing was, okay, just throw the ball out and let us run through it. No, he talked to us on, 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 uh, about what we had to do. You know, and he, you'd walk a few steps and everybody was standing there and it almost like he was putting us to sleep and we'd be like, oh, okay, uh, okay. So we just work our way through it. But it, it, was, it was so well played because once we started moving and moving around on the court, he had talked to us and told us where we were supposed to be. Now that we were doing it, it was like it was automatic. And I thought that was a very unique, uh, interesting way to coach Mm. professional men usually high school coaches some college coaches coach that way so, but to do us like that as grown men because you're coaching kareem who had won a championship and now he's here the sky hook you don't have to teach me anything i've been but the best and and john wooden uh, as well as jamal wilkes so the way he did that i thought after the fact after the fact i thought it was so masterfully done mm. and uh, that started our pace and that's what started us in the training camp and we played and had a very successful training camp yeah, so again, going back to everybody thinks of Showtime and they think of Pat Riley. The father of Showtime was Jack McKitty. He's the guy you mentioned. He the statistics that he wanted to do, excel in transition. You know, he was the guy that really said, "We've got magic. Let's up the pace. Let's run. Let's play a fast, frenetic style," which is what Showtime became synonymous with. And it starts with Jack McKitty. Exactly, and he knew how to take advantage of our strength and our weakness. Uh, that was one thing I was, that I picked up a lot on too for the short amount of time that we had him is that uh, he understood that teams were going to really hone in on Kareem. They were going to make it difficult for him to score. And in the NBA, when you get to situations like that, I always have thought coming into the pros, that was every man for himself. And then you get a coach like Coach McKinney who thought had the thought process behind the action and uh, just made it real uh, easy for us to play, to go in. So, you know, he was the, the, the official organizer of it. And it was just so unfortunate that he wasn't able to see this through. But sometimes, you know, good things come in, 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 in terrible situations. And, you know, his situation was bad because as we got through that season and Coach McKinley was a health nut, uh, went riding and he, he ride his bike one day in Palos Verdes in his home and he was going out for it like he did every other day, early morning ride. And there was a pebble that he hit, went over the, uh, the bars and he didn't have a helmet on and had a very, very bad, uh, head, head injury. And, um, it was just, and that happened right in the, like right at the first or second game during the season. So we were primed and ready to go. And now all of a sudden the person that had put this all together, he's out of commission. Yeah, 14 games in. You guys were 10 and 4, 14 games in. Yep. Jack, as you mentioned, cra crashed his bike. You said hit a pebble, went over his handlebars, and basically crashed headfirst into the pavement and then skidded, which put him in a coma. He was a long road back. I mean, just like take us there. Like, what was that? When did you learn of this accident? You know, what did you think in terms of Paul Westhead? And, and did you, would you think? 
you know, Jack will be back. Like, what was the, the team's impression of that situation? Well, when, uh, when we first heard about it, obviously it shocked the whole team. But again, remember, team is about not one individual. It's about all of us. And Coach McKinney was teaching us that through the process. And to hear that he had that tragic injury, and I heard it when we got to practice, and it came through the, or the administrative part. And uh, Coach Westhead was our assistant coach. And he came and he told the team, hey, uh, Coach McKinney had an accident this morning. Uh, we're going to continue on because this is what we're supposed to do. Everybody said prayers for him. And we were wishing the best. And then what happened as every day went by, we heard that it was getting worse and worse. And so that's when we, it took us about two or three days, maybe a week, to really realize that he wasn't going to be back and Coach Westhead. And the one thing I got to credit Coach Westhead with is that, he didn't try to change everything right there because uh, Coach Westhead had been a college player, a college coach. Now he's in the pro, so he was actually learning with us, <laughs> you know, on how to deal with this. So uh, to his credit, Coach Westhead was great. Didn't change much. Let us roll the way we were going. Didn't make any adjustments as far as player personnel. Pretty much kept everything the same. And as we went on that season, we just heard that Coach McKinney had fought through the hard part. And now he was up and, and, and more alert. He, had, uh, he was in a coma for a long time, and he was more alert. And then he started sending us messages. Uh, probably about a month, month or two months into the season, we started getting messages from him. Did you guys ever think he was going to return that year? We were hoping. We were hoping. Uh, but again, first and foremost was his health and his family's health, you know, because that has to be a tragic moment for everybody. Uh, and they, they were going through that as well as he. And uh, we just wanted that. But as things materialized, we started hearing, okay, he might be able to come back. Then he may not. But once we got past half of the season, then it was pretty sure that he wasn't going to be able to come back. And uh, then we, everybody put their focus on what we have to do to accomplish his goal. And that was always was to win a championship. So, so, you know, he, I, I, I guess, helped you guys in terms of advanced scouting as well. Um, throughout the rest of that season in the playoffs. And then at some point, I believe in the playoffs, Dr. Jerry Buss basically made the announcement that, that Paul Westhead was going to be the coach and that Jack McKinney was no longer going to be the coach. Um, what was that like from the locker room's perspective there? Well, you know what? We had, had pretty much been in the groove of that season. Right. And it was very, very unfortunate. And you know what? Sometimes the higher-uppers have to make those tough decisions. And Coach McKinney was not progressing the way that they thought. And as far as uh, his, his mental capacity, because a head injury, the trauma that he had put on his brain was just severe. And it was a tough call for Dr. Buss. But you know what? It's his team. Uh, he saw he was doing what was best for the team, as well as what was best for Jack. Because if you try to rush somebody with a head trauma like that, they may push themselves a little bit too far to get back. And I think he took that option away from him which made him settle down and just relax and worry about his health. But once he made that, that, that decision and it came down to the team that Coach Westhead was going to be our coach, uh, we were okay with that. And, again, Coach Westhead had started taking us to another level as far as our, our progression of play. Uh, he really put the ball in Magic's hands. And the one thing that I got to give Coach Westhead a lot of credit for, and, again, I say this again, is that he didn't change much. But the biggest thing that new coaches – especially when they come in as assistants and, and then for some reason a coach get fired. And in this case, it was a tragic accident that happened. Uh, uh, coach Westhead did not make personnel changes. And that's very, very big. Yeah, no question. He, he waited until the 81 season to do something like that. We'll get to that coming up. <laughs> but so Paul Westhead's the coach. 
uh, officially. Jack McKitty suffers that injury, and, and that's, that's all she wrote for him. So you guys get on to the finals. You're playing Philadelphia. You had Spencer Haywood, who had to be removed from the team during the finals because of, of the, the cocaine dependency that he had during this finals. Well, you know what? We were playing extremely well. And I think Jerry West, uh, again, with his uh, expertise as far as picking players, Spencer Haywood was a great player in this league. Remember right. Spencer came from the ABA and uh, played with other, other teams, Seattle Supersonics. But Spencer comes to our team and he was the perfect uh, power forward, power forward. Uh, that they thought that he was going to be. You remember uh, the late, great Maurice Lucas and Bill Walton? Well, they were figuring that Spencer could be that type of player next to Kareem because now you have – Kareem, Spencer, and Jamal Wilkes as your front line. And that's a pretty damn good front line. And now you got Magic and, and Norm Nixon in the backcourt. So they were looking at that. And uh, as the way things went, uh, Spencer making his choices that he made, uh, some were good, some were bad. But what it was, that the team was never, ever, and coaches as well as GM, was never going to let one player be a disruption on the team. And as we got into that, uh, Spencer had his issues. And uh, it came down to one day where we were laying around at practice and stretching. And um, Spencer fell asleep and didn't get up. And, you know, he, that's when they made the decision to get him, get him uh, to remove him from the team. And uh, Jim Jones then took a big, bold step forward because they had brought Jones in. Remember, Jones played with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Out of Marquette, one of the greatest players that played for Marquette, Jim Jones was 6'9", 6'10". Jim, like me, was bought in to back up Spencer and to be Kareem's backup. So he had a double-duty position. Mm -hmm. So now with Spencer being removed, Jim Jones became a vital piece to us. So once that happened in the playoffs, it, was kinda, it wasn't something that was disruptive because everybody on our bench, the Lakers, me included, we were waiting for somebody not to play well, because we got a chance to step in there. <laughs> so uh, that was the fun part about any Laker bench that I've ever been on. You always was pushing the starters to become better. But once they made that move, we're playing Philadelphia. We couldn't have any disruptions. Jim Jones stepped in and did a great job. Yeah. So, I mean, speaking of disruptions, I mean, that, I'm trying to set the full context of this 1980 season because it's just incredible. I mean, you have, so you have, it's Magic's rookie year. You have the head coach, 14 games in, basically, have suffered head injury and not be able to come back. Paul Westhead takes over. You have the, the, the Spencer Haywood stuff going on in the middle of the finals. And then you have Kareem playing an all-time great finals against the Sixers. And then what happens in game five? He suffers an ankle injury, sprains his ankle. He still scored like 40 points. He had like a 40 and 15 game that game with yeah, the sprained he was, ankle. He was killing him. He was killing him. And you know what? The funny part about that, it just seemed like something didn't want us to pull it together. Right. Uh, again, starting all the way back with Coach McKinney, you know, then you get a head coach, Paul Westhead, no NBA experience. You know, <laughs> uh, we're playing that game. Kareem's playing extremely well. He's skyhooking Caldwell Jones to death and he, anybody else that was trying to guard him. They were triple teaming Kareem. But we're at the forum and uh, we're going well. And we know in our hearts, I said, hey, we have to win this basketball game if we're going to be, you know, get this thing back to LA. And uh, it was a third quarter, early fourth quarter. Cream goes up for a hook shot and cream was a yoga. He got into yoga. So cream didn't really have to do the old things of taping your ankles and other things like that. Cause he was very, very flexible and limber and he took very good care of himself. So he goes and he turns and Steve mix was under him, you know, and he came down and twisted his ankle. And you should have heard the forum. They, when he went down and twisted his ankle and started limping down the court, 
the, the forum went quiet, just dead quiet. And the only people you heard was the Sixers. Yeah, we got them now. We got them now. And it was just the, it was just the weirdest feeling on our court. We were winning the game at that particular time. And it was just weird because we knew with Kareem down, it was going to be very difficult uh, because we didn't have that other legitimate center. You know, Jim Jones was our backup center at that time. So um, we get through that game. And Jack, uh, Jack Curran at the time was our trainer. And he's like, guys, I got to get him ready. And after the game, I remember everybody was getting their stuff on. It was real quiet in our locker room and the reporters were in there and they were talking, but they weren't interviewing too many people because the doctors were in the, in the training room, had the door closed and we were just waiting to hear word on where the cap was going to go. So as the reporters leave, most of the guys will get dressed and, you know, you leave the locker room, you go and go home and do whatever. Uh, but we, all of us stayed in the locker room until they finally, the porters left. It was probably about an hour and a half afterwards and we come back and they're saying, you guys, there's nothing broken, uh, but we're going to keep this to ourselves, and that cat won't be going to Philadelphia. Wow. I just, I was like, you know what? Let's just go home and think this is a bad dream and maybe we'll wake up and everything will be good tomorrow. So Magic goes, you know what, guys? Come on, you guys, let's go. We got this. Cap's going to be all right. He'll be there, okay? So we go home. And, uh, you know, all night, everybody's thinking, thinking, thinking. And then on the news that night, it goes, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is still questionable about him playing on that, the evening news. So we are leaving in the next morning. We get on the plane. And back then, we used to just get on the plane. It didn't not anything like it was today. You walked in off the street, walked in on the plane. And we're all sitting there. And it's about maybe 20 minutes for us to leave. And we're sitting there, and by that time, we realized that Cap wasn't coming because Kareem was an early bird. He usually gets there early, and he's in his seat. We're sitting there, and everybody's kind of quiet and, you know, kind of looking around. And, you know, uh, Paul Westhead has got his head down because he's into his notes and stuff. And um, we hear this music playing, you know, Frankie Beverly and Mays. And we hear it, it's getting closer and closer. And Magic gets on the thing, and he has this huge box on his thing, boom pop. And he looks at all of us, and he's standing right there in first class in the aisle. He goes, what's wrong with y'all? Nobody said anything. He said, hey, listen, have no fear. Magic Johnson is here. Cut his thing off, and he starts this big laugh. <laughs> and you know what, all right, AT, that set everybody at ease. And it, it, was, it was magical. It truly was. You know, here's this young kid, and we're just playing. We're not really thinking about winning the championship. We're just playing. And he set the tone. And that tone was set going to Philadelphia. We start the plane up, get on the plane. Everybody has a good ride. We get to Philadelphia. It's hot. Uh, in the summertime, we get to the hotel. Magic said, okay, y'all, we're going to the movies. He's like, no, we're not. He goes, no, no, no. Cool. Uh, uh, Nixon, Jamal, uh, you guys, let's go. We're going to the movies. So we go to a movie. And Magic, like, them, them, them drama shoot em up movies. And I remember we go to the movies at night. And totally forgot about basketball. And when we get back, it's like 11, 30, 12. Everybody goes to their room. The next morning, we get up. We go on the bus. And the atmosphere's totally changed. I mean, it's like, you guys, we got this. And that's how our, that's how our thought process was going to shoot around that day. We got this. It's just a matter of us, how we're going to do it. That is incredible. I mean, you think about how difficult it is to win a series without your best player in a, out of tra- you know, a, a, out without a, a, a one of the transcendent players in the history of the league. And you're right. I mean, sometimes it's, 
it's not that you're not good enough. It's the mentality of the team plummets. And now the, the psychology of the team is like, well, we can't win. And to have a leader like Magic step in, I mean, and not just lead by, you know, what he says, but then go out. He, he had 42 points in that decisive game six. Um, 42 and 15 rebounds, seven assists, three blocks. You know what? To start that game, we went out there. Coach Westhead said, you guys, uh, as he drawn up the first play in the locker room, and he goes, uh, okay, uh, Jones, you're going to jump center. Magic goes, oh, 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 no, no, no. Coach, let me jump center. And Westhead looks back and goes, Herb, what are you talking about? <laughs> Coach, that's going to throw him off. Magic said this. Coach, that's going to throw him off. So we finish up our pregame. We go out, we go through the warmups and stuff like that. We come back in the huddle because now we're getting ready to break. Coop just starting. Jamal Wilkes, Norm Nixon, Jim Jones, Magic. And Magic goes, I'm going to jump. No, Jones Jones go, I'm going to jump center, coach. And Magic goes, no, no, no. I'm going to jump center. So when we go out there, Caldwell Jones, they're all lined up and the center's there. And Jim Jones is standing outside the circle and Magic is standing out there. So Caldwell's kind of like, okay, who's going to jump center? And he's waiting for Tony <laughs> to come into the circle. Magic walks in. You should have saw these guys' eyes, man. They were like, what the hell is going on? You know, they kind of like looking around. The referee had the ball. Nick O'Donnell was like, oh, Magic? What are you Magic? doing here? Let's go. They throw the ball up, and Magic happened. As soon as that ball went in the air, it was magical. So you guys go and win the finals in 1980. Is that when everything changed for Paul Westhead going into that 1981 season when it was like everything he didn't change once he knew he was, was going to be the head coach? He, that's when he decides to kind of change things around and you know, dump it down to Kareem and let him go to work and take away this, that, that, that speed style that, that Jack McKitty had implemented? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was unfortunate because, again, it went against everything that Dr. Buss had tried to establish. It went against Showtime. And yes, people would love seeing Kareem because Kareem had a lot of fans and, and we had just won a championship. So people were going to be with us no matter what. But it was the way that we won the championship. Going right. back to that game in the Western Conference Finals, we were running up and down the floor. The only time we, <laughs> the only time we used Kareem is when we got down and they happened to get down there before. So we got a little tired and we stopped. Okay, Kareem, come in. Now we throw it to him. But we were getting up shooting jumpers, getting layups, three-on-twos, two-on-ones, layups. So that's what happened. So we come back after winning the championship in 80. We come back in 81. Now, Westhead, uh, for reasons I'll never, ever understand, started changing the offense. And I, 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 I kind of understood what he was trying to do because he wanted to take some pressure off Magic. But you know what? This guy is 6'9", 220. Right. Let him do what he does well, and that's handling the basketball. So he started doing that, and that's when we came back with the big article about us going back to school. Uh, they had a front-page Sports Illustrator cover. Westhead takes Lakers back to school, and it was an old one of the back in the '30s school wooden desks, you know. And we had this. Now, listen, the funny part about that picture that people don't realize about that picture is Magic's the only one standing up because he refused to be a student, he said. He says, this is basketball. I'm, I'm the leader. So Magic is standing up against the chalkboard and everybody else is sitting down on the thing. <laughs> so people don't really understand that picture. Uh, you know, I talked to E about that. He's like, Coop, I'm not sitting down, man, because, you know, I'm the, I'm the orchestrator, which he was. This is his team, man. It's officially his team. So um, Westhead takes us back to school and he starts breaking everything down. Now, you have to know Westhead 
is uh, he was a historian or English teacher. So everything he came to us with was always from um, uh, from Shakespeare. books. Shakespeare, yeah, from books. And it was like he was trying to get us to, and, you know, it, it was difficult. That was a tough year. Uh, but, you know, we come back and we struggled. Had 81 was not a good season for us, 81 season, and it just didn't do well. Yeah, so what – was it just the idea that, like, he – how smart he was and here's this genius and it's like sports illustrated wants this back to school thing. Was it, was it just that all of that where you guys and Lakers were like, I don't know. I mean, what do you mean? We, we just saw magic take over this team when they needed him to, because Kareem gets hurt. Like was that sort of the disconnect or do you think that schematically he just, he just had no concept of what he should be doing? No, I, I think he had a concept because we won a championship with him. You know, right. he, he coached us, what, 78, 68 games. I think what it is is that he was trying to take us to another level on mental. And he, got to, he had to understand that this was basketball. The only one that identified with him when he was talking Shakespeare was Kareem. <laughs> Kareem was about that. Uh, I mean, I, I know a little bit about Shakespeare, but I don't know all of that. I know V and Val and all those things. But, you know what, we're basketball players. I think Jamal Wilkes might have got a couple of things that he said, too. But the rest of us were not necessarily lost. But how does that kind of uh, relate to right. basketball when we're trying to do this? So it was it was difficult. But – now that I think on it, you know, these times as we're older now and you look back and try to I try to figure out what things happen in your life. Well, I try to figure out what he was trying to accomplish at that time. And he really, really, really wanted us on another higher level basketball IQ time, IQ wise. But I think he went about it the wrong way. But, uh, you know, he had a, a quick offense that got up. And I, I always believe this about Coach Westhead. Yes, he had his stint, and he won his two championships with us in the 80s, but he was better suited for a college coach because the type of offense he wanted to run was more controlled from the coach on the sideline to the players. Well, now you had a coach, a player that was your coach on the floor, give him the basketball, tell him what he's supposed to do or where we're supposed to go, and let him run it. And I think Coach Head still wanted that um, – he wanted that control, that control, and, and, you know, you don't do that to NBA players. No, and especially not the Showtime Lakers, you know, as many alpha dogs as there were. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so so you have the disappointing season, 81. You lose in the first round of the playoffs to Houston. And just to recap, so McKinney, Jack McKinney comes in. His assistant was Paul Westhead. Yep. And then when – and there was just one assistant coach for these guys at the time. Like, you, you had a head coach and assistant coach. That's it. Yeah. So then Westhead comes in, and then a guy named Pat Riley is his assistant coach. And Riley, if I remember correctly, was actually – was he Chick Hearn's broadcast partner? Pat Riley came from the beach one day to pick up his mail. And this is when uh, Coach McKinney got hurt to pick up his mail. And uh, Keith Erickson used to, to broadcast with Chick Hearn. So Keith was moving on. Now Keith Erickson was a great player from UCLA. So Pat Riley comes in to pick his mail up. And Chick sees him and says, hey, Pat, listen, I need somebody to cover. I mean, I, we're looking for somebody. Hey, you want to try out? That's it, sure. So he takes it and he starts sitting next to Chick Hearn. And that's how he got his position. So it was so funny. So now when all the coaching changes started happening, he's right there in the fold. He's right there, which is a great place to be because, you know, what, Riles, being a Laker player, he understood the Laker dynamic and organization. So Riley's then, he becomes Westhead's assistant. And then, so take me through that next season 
basketball wasn't well for us. I remember in 83 at the start of the season, we have a, we actually had a great exhibition season. We had a, and this is the year Coach Westhead gets fired. And I'll never forget this is that we're playing Houston. It was the last game of the, of the exhibition season. And we were winning games, but they were just a struggle exhibition game. And Dr. Buss used to travel not with us, but he was always at all our games. He would fly different airlines and he would get there on his own and his entourage. And um, uh, I'll never forget this, is that uh, the game before we played Houston, I forget where we played at, it was just a horrible game. It was a slow game, sluggish. We were just walking the ball up the floor, throw it into Kareem. You had to go, go cross, or it was a lot of confusion going on. And Magic started saying, Man, I can't play like this. I can't play. And I mean, it was affecting all of us, especially myself, Norm Nixon, Jamal Wilkes, people that wanted to get up and down the floor. We couldn't run anymore, but it was a controlled run. And so Magic was really, really distraught and just like, I can't play this way, Coop. And I remember we landed in Houston at the airport. And once we get there, they have the bus outside and the trainer and the, the, the guys, they have to wait for all the baggage to come down. So the baggage handlers get the, play, they get the bags and then they bring them to the bus, put them under the bus, and then we leave. As we as players come out, we get something to drink in the airport or eat. And then you come and you get on the bus at your leisure. So you probably got about 40 minutes, a good 40 minutes to do that. We almost get out there and the, I see the baggage guys get ready to come. And I look around because Magic usually sits across from me in the back of the bus. He's not there. So I look out the window and he's sitting in the medium where the traffic, where baggage claim, where people are coming in and going at the airport. And he's sitting out there in the middle of it. So I go out there and I say, E, you all right, man? Coop, I can't do this, man. I just can't do this. I said, E, it's going to be all right. We have to, we, you know, we'll find a way to do it, man. No, Coop, it's not going to be all right. It's not going to be all right. So we go to the hotel. We go to the movies. We come back. The next day at shoot-around was the worst. It was just real quiet because it was like we were robots. And Coach Westhead was going through the things. You got to do this, you guys. We're going to do this. Uh, nobody, can, uh, nobody can break the offense. Everybody, you got to just run the offense. So then he went from us having a lot of freedom to us being like robots or, or uh, chess pieces. You know, you're not allowed to move unless I pick you up and move you. And that was hard, especially for Magic being the type of player he was. And it was, like I said, it was hard for all of us because we were running team. And now we were being stagnant, which allowed teams to beat up on us a little bit. But when we get back to L.A., everything the bottom drops out of it again the the lakers went seven and four those first 11 games and then paul westhead is fired and replaced by pat riley so what i mean did you know when magic was 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 out on westhead did you know that that was it for him did you think that that was it for him you know what a lot of people will say that magic got westhead fired and that's far the farthest from the truth you'll ever experience ever hear there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Sports are slowly making its way back with the UFC, NASCAR, and soccer leading the way. Bet Online has all the best onlines for the upcoming matches this weekend. Need more? Bet Online has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of live casino games poker tournaments, and all the best props in the business. 
Visit betonline.ag or use your mobile device and join now to receive your new welcome bonus and start playing today. Bet online, your online sporting book experts. Magic did not get him fired. Uh, Magic was letting him know that we aren't, we weren't playing. I remember we won a championship in '80. Okay, we weren't playing the way that we were, that was going to help us win. And as we talked about after that championship season in '80, '81, now it's just about building every year, building, building toward what we want to do, and that's winning championships every year. So with Magic being uh, Unhappy, uh, Dr. Buss seeing that. And from the things I've heard is that that firing was going to happen anyway prior to Magic. I think that just added more fuel to the fire when your star kid, 19-year-old kid coming to the league, win a championship. Now he's unhappy because you're not playing the right way. And I'm pretty sure he and Dr. Buss have talked about it. But I, don't, I, I won't believe this in my heart that Magic got him fired. I think that had already been started and it was something that just didn't, that just happened. And it was under the circumstances that it happened, that it looks like magic Johnson was responsible for that. Well, I mean, think about it. I mean, and and if you think about it practically, I mean, you have, (laughs) you have a situation in which you've got a great player that is his entire game is based on his feel and, and, and orchestration. And you have a coach who's taken that away from him. So if you're Dr. Jerry Buss, you, you have to go to that coach and say, we need you to change because you're not, you haven't adapted your schemes to fit the style of the, the skill set of the players. It seems like Paul West had wanted the credit for being the coach of this great team as opposed to, hey, just turn the team over to this guy because he's such a magician. Exactly. The one thing that Magic never, ever was was selfish. So as a coach, you give him the basketball, hey, this is what plays we want to run. I'm going to give you a certain amount of plays to run. I'll give you two or three plays. You And it's like you said, he feels the game. He sees what's going on out there. So, you know what, let the guy do what he's going to do. If you see him hesitant or doesn't know, that's when you as a head coach jump up and make a call or, or, or whatever. But that was uh, being taken away. And I think it's like uh, a lot of people say that, you know, when you win a championship, sometimes coaches, it kind of – get the big head a little bit or they get a little bit more controlling and they start wanting to really control things because they see. And I think that's what happened is that West had really wanted to control things a little bit more. They unfortunately fired uh, coach Westhead and who in the, who is sitting there with his hands like this, ready to go, his hair pressed back, looking real dapper is Pat Riley. And when Pat Riley got it, man, he took it and ran with it. <laughs> so, okay, so what were your impressions of Riles when he was an assistant? Like, what? Oh, I love Coach Riley. Coach Riley was always well-dressed, not a hair out of shape. His tie was always right. And they even got a shirt now, a gentleman's shirt name I tell you called the Riley Spread. That's a, that's a collar on your dress shirt, the Riley Spread. Nobody else had that. But Coach Riley was uh, impeccably neat. Even his, his uh, practice stuff was nice. He'd wear khakis that were always uh, uh, iron real sharp. Uh, and that comes from his dad. Pat, you know, really, uh, his father was real strict. Uh, he went to Kentucky. Adolph Rupp was real strict. He played under a real tough coach. So everything was almost like, 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 like soldier regimented. Everything, you know, your gig line, which is the line down your shirt has to be with your your belt line and all of that. So Coach Riley uh, really uh, opened us up to the fashion of dressing. But he took, but and the thing that amazed you about him is that he was very intellectually smart about basketball. And, and 
you know, you look at Pat and say, oh, he's a pretty guy. You know, he doesn't know anything about basketball. But he, Coach Riley was very, very smart and articulate. How much did he change, though, from being the assistant to then becoming the head coach? Like, how much did he, his personality emerge from that? Or did, was he always like that, even as an assistant? Even as an assistant, he was like that. But I truly, truly, this is what I believe about Coach Riley. Coach Riley was always groomed to be a head coach. He wasn't groomed to be an assistant. And that's who he was. And even though sometimes that saying is that you got to learn a little bit or you got to have experience, I don't think Pat Riley ever needed experience. I think if he had been given a head coaching job right from the start, he would have been a great head coach. I'm just glad that he was there for us because he really took us to another level, both physically, mentally, and spiritually. And he was truly, truly Laker because Coach Riley played for the Lakers. So he understood what that organization was about, the pains, the losing to the Celtics, the hard times, uh, player personnel, coaching change. He knew about all of that. So when he got an opportunity to do that, along with Jerry West, those two really put this team together and they made the organization, along with Dr. Buss, they made the organization what it has become to today. So what did did Pat right away, did did that – off to the showtime, was he basically like he came in and was like, all right, we're getting rid of this Paul Weston stuff. We're going back to what we did. Was that, that change happened right away? He, no, he kept a little bit of it. But what he did is he gave more responsibility to the players. And I, 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 that's the one thing that I really got out of him. He, he would tell everybody what your role was. Every year we came to training camp, Coach Riley would sit everybody down and tell them what their role was. This is your role. You can always play outside your role. But if you play your role right, the machine's going to roll right. And that's, that's the one thing that I have taken from him and appreciated from him out on the court. Uh, but another thing I appreciate about Coach Riley is that, and he, you only get this as a former player, there were times in games that we would be playing. And, yes, coaches stand on the sideline and you're trying to figure it out. And sometimes you can really get tunnel vision and you get into the game. And when that happens, a lot of coaches – won't open up their field of vision. Coach Riley, this is the one thing, and I use this with the, the Sparks, and that's why we won championships, and I use this with other teams that I've coached. We would come in from the huddle, and things are just disarray, and we, we could be winning or losing. Most of the time, we're down or something like that. And he would look at us, and he would go, Magic, what you see? Coop, what do you see? James, what do you see? What do you see out there? And we tell him, hey, you know, we're trying to run this one play and it just wasn't, the team was, uh, the defense was really doing a good job on that. Well, you know what, coach, what it is, when I go set the pick, they're trying to go over the top or they're trying to go underneath or they're really hitting Kareem and stuff like that. So we would tell him and then he could make his adjustment. Okay, you guys, listen, let's go back with this play. And now you set the pick this way. So he was never, ever uh, just concrete into one thing. Make it work, make it work. No, if it didn't work, he always asked us, what, what do you see? What do you mm-hmm. see? And that was very, very intelligent coaching. And I had never had a coach to coach like that. And that's the one thing I really, really am, was impressed with Coach Riley and admired. And that's one of the traits I've taken from him as a coach. Sometimes the players know what's going on out there more than you because you're standing on the side looking outside in. Players are in the middle. So that's where Coach Riley was very good. Uh, the other thing was that Coach Riley knew how to utilize players uh, in their roles. Um, you know, the one thing he used to tell me, and again, he's like, Coop, you are a defensive stopper. Uh, for the next five minutes, I don't want you helping anybody. So if it's Larry Bird that's on fire or Andrew Tony, or, or Isaiah or one of the players, I wasn't allowed to help. 
And I thought that was a great thing because as a defensive player, you kind of caught in that catch 220 situation. You want to stop your player, but yet you got to play team defense. So we used to practice our team defense in two types of defense, one with me help, not helping and one with me helping. And that a lot of people didn't get what we were doing. They thought we were playing a little bit of zone, a trick zone or something. But that was his concept, and he came up with that in a very, very unique. And I'm sharing a secret I shouldn't be sharing because Pat Riley would get after me. But you know what? That was funny. And he would tell me, Coop, listen, you deny this guy all the way. Don't worry about what's going on behind you. And when we started doing that and playing that type of defense, uh, I started taking teams out of it. So teams would call a timeout and, okay, what are they doing? Well, they, they didn't really know what we were doing. Uh, and I don't know if Pat Riley really knew, but that was just his way of trying to really win each game. And his attention to detail was probably the best that I've ever, ever been around. Uh, you know, coaches are hand out the playoffs. You'll get your uh, your little playoffs list and stuff like that and the game plan. And then you'd get a tape. And Pat would give everybody a tape. And he says, hey, listen, this is uh, what this team, he'll give you five offensive plays, seven offensive plays. And he'll give you some things that they do defensively. And your tape was probably back then the VCR, the VHS is a long, long square one. And it, if, if you sat down and watched the whole thing, it'd probably take you 10, 12 minutes. Uh, this is where Riley was sharp as a tack, man, is that he knew that we weren't going to watch the tape. So what he started doing, he started having uh, one of his assistant coach, Randy Fun, who eventually became one of our, our primary coaches. But Randy was coming uh, as a video guy. He put a code word in there for you. And it could be at the beginning, the middle, or the end. So the next day when we came in, and like, okay, you got Coop, your code word is Larry Bird. Magic, your code word is um, uh, fly like an eagle. It could be a song. It could be a title or something. So you had to watch it because the next day he come in, okay, code words, you know. And if you didn't watch it, you felt like an asshole, and he would find you. Coach Riley, he loved finding because what he'd do is he'd put it in the pot, and we'd have a big party at the end of the year. So he'd find you $1,000, especially when we got to the playoffs. If you don't know your code word, $1,000. And that was the one way he got everybody to watch the video because now when he started talking about, hey, this is what we're going to do on this player, this is what we're going to do against this player, everybody was on the same page. Do you think the Lakers win five championships if Jack McKinney's the coach the whole time? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, wow. And it's tough, obviously, because you spent so little time with Jack and you spent so much time with Pat that it's hard to know what kind of a coach Jack would have truly been. I, 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 I don't think so. I don't think so. And, I'm a, and the reason I say that, because I think as coaches win and you got to have that energy uh, to be able to make changes. And I, I think Jack McKinney is kind of like Jack Ramsey. They, okay, this is the system. Reminds me a little bit about Pop, uh, Popovich at San Antonio. This is the system. And what I got to do is find players in the system that can play my system and, and then we'll always win. It's not about making your system fit around the players. And that's what Pat Riley was able to do to get his, get his system. He would fit things around us. I think coach McKinney would have been like, okay, I got to find players to fit in this system. Mm. And sometimes that doesn't work. No, uh, I, 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 I just don't think so. I don't think coach McKinney, but this is what I do believe. I think had we had Pat Riley in 1980, and nothing against Coach Westhead, because I, I, I love Coach Westhead. But if we had Pat Riley in 1980, we went to the finals nine times, and we won it five times. I think we would have went to the finals nine times and won it eight times. Wow. 
I really do, because Coach Riley was good. He was great at uh, changing up plays. He'd have a play, and he could see how the defense was guarded, and he'd come up with another play right then. Really, really good. Now, I think one person that really influenced him and helped him a lot was Coach Bill Burka. And Coach Burka was with us, and him and Pat Riley were, like, stuck together like Siamese twins. And you could always see them with their heads together, so you knew something good was getting ready to come, whether it be on the offensive end or the defensive end. But Coach Riley was one of the best as – well, as one of the best motivators before a game. He, um, the Boston Massacre, this is one story I got to tell. We're, you know, we beat the Celtics or lost to them in 84. Boston Massacre in 1985, we come back and we lose the first game. What was it, 141 to 112? I mean, they beat us like a drum. And this was the year that we thought we were going to win. So we go to Boston and we lose that game. 41 points. Scott Wetman comes off the bench. He gets 36. Danny Ainge is shooting them out of the out of his butt into the basket. Bird, McHale, and Parrish are just doing their usual kick-ass jobs. Dennis Johnson's going. The fans are going crazy. ML Carr is doing what he does best is wearing his wrist out by waving <laughs> his little white flag or towel. It, uh, it, all of that just went into that game. But uh, after that game, and we get into the locker room, and nobody says anything. And we were expected for this this speech, uh, real, because Coach Riley could give some long speeches. We're sitting there, and he goes, uh, you got to put your clothes on. We're going back to the hotel. And we get on the bus, we go back to the hotel, and we're thinking, okay, uh, we're, tomorrow we got practice, and we'll, we'll get everything then. He goes, you guys go upstairs to your room, drop your bags off, and come back down to the conference room. We got a meeting. And AT, we go down, we go upstairs, drop our stuff off. Everybody's like, okay, it's going to be one of these talks. We go back down, and he got the, the camera out, the video set up, chairs out there. And he says, everybody have a seat, and nobody say anything. And he made us watch the game two times. Wow. And, and, and didn't say anything, but he, he whined it. And when it was your turn, you made a mistake, he rewound it three times. And you had to sit there and watch your mistakes. Ugh, just watch it and watch it and watch it. Then we watch the game. Then if the game ended, rewind it. And he sat it back and rewound it. And then you had to watch yourself two times. So you knew then on the second tape, oh, here I come. Ugh, man. <laughs> you know, and all he would say is, Coop, weren't you supposed to help then? Cap, how can you not get back? Norm, where, where are you? Magic, you know that you call that a pass so he just wore us out with that once the tape session was over and you know back then we had the chalk with the green boards and stuff like that the big long six foot board and stuff like that he cuts the tape off they cut the lights on and he walks over to the board we think he's getting ready to write some of this long long drawn out stuff and we're gonna go over plays and now we've been in this room after the game we've been in this room almost two hours he walks up to the board and he goes this effing shit will never happen again. And he punches the board, man, with his fist. And he puts a big hole in it. This will never happen again. You guys better get on your fucking jobs and you better get this done. And he throws the chalkboard down and he walks out the room. And we all kind of like sat there and stuff like that. And indirectly, that hit home so much more if he than him hey, you guys, we got to do this. How come we're not doing this? And, you know, drawing stuff up and talking. And that hit home, and that was the last time the Boston beat us. Probably. I mean, you know, they beat us a game, but 
they were never, ever going to beat us in the series again. Showtime with Cooper is presented by betonline.ag on CLNS Media. Again, please hit that subscription button. That way you'll automatically get the latest episodes as soon as they're released. And please make sure to leave us a rating.